step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Are you ready to change your life in the next 30 minutes? It's time for Power in a Half Hour with Coach Mark. Get your notebooks ready. He's about to go in. Five, four, three, two, one. Coach Mark, let's go. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in. This is Coach Mark, and you're listening to Power and a Half Hour. In the next 30 minutes, we're going to learn the tips, tricks, and techniques of the rich and the super-duper successful. So the quote that we're going to start today's show with is, Life is inherently risky. There is only one big risk you should avoid at all costs, and that is the risk of doing absolutely nothing. And that's from Dennis Waitley. The title of today's show is, the risk of doing nothing. I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to mind you, if you ever want to go back and re-listen to not only this show, but any of the previous shows, you can go to my website, www.powerhh.com. You could also find me on iTunes. Just search in the podcast section for Coach Mark or Power in a Half Hour. If we're not friends on Facebook, my name on Facebook is Mark Starr. That's M-A-R-K-S-T-A-R-R. On Instagram and Twitter, it's at Coach Mark Speaks. For all my listeners in the United States, I have a daily message service that sends out an inspirational, motivational message every single morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. To get those messages, all you have to do is text the letters BBD to 411247. And if you have not had an opportunity to download my book, you can download it for free at www.repeataftermebook.com. Well, we have an amazing show today, so let's go ahead and get started. Profile number one, Sam, Jake, and Jay Stein, three generations of men. All right, Jay's grandfather, Sam Stein, immigrated to New York City in 1905 with $43 in his pocket. Now, for those of you that are curious, $43 in 1905 is equivalent to $1,137 in 2017. I can't even imagine what that would be like to decide to move to a country with $43 in your pocket. I won't even visit a country with $1,000 in my pocket, much less move to a country with $1,137 in 2017 money or $43 in 1905 money. He came from what was then Russia, now Poland, to escape all the persecutions of the day. His grandfather Sam was a runner on Wall Street delivering paperwork, but he didn't like New York. It was big and busy for him. Sam saved all of his nickel tips until he had enough to leave and then went to Memphis, Tennessee. There was this firm that would give immigrants a big bag of merchandise, things like needles and thread and socks, and then they would go out, sell the items, and then send the money back. 
Sam would take a steamboat every weekend down the Mississippi Delta and sell to farmers and farmhands whatever he could carry. Sam got off the steamboat in Greenville, Mississippi and saw that the town was building a new synagogue. He said to himself, they must be good to Jewish people here and it looks like a great town. So he decided to settle down there and kept going out to the farms until someone in the town said, you need a general store and lent him the money to open one up. Now, Sam eventually got married and had four kids and the store was part of the whole family's life. Life was great for their family in Greenville, Mississippi. Unfortunately, in 1933, during the Great Depression, Sam had a sudden heart attack and passed away. Now, Sam's oldest son, this is Generation 2, Jay's father, Jake, was on football scholarship at the University of Alabama, and he decided to quit school and came back to Mississippi to work in the store. Eventually, the town expanded and a better location opened up down the street. Jake told his brother and sister to open up the new store and he would take care of selling the merchandise in their old space. That going out of business sale did so well that a light went on for Jake. He told his brother and sister to keep running the new store and he would make the old space a promotional store. He had stumbled on the off-price model that would make their business a success, selling to people who needed great merchandise at really deeply discounted prices. Jay was born in 1945. Now we're getting into the third generation. And his early life was based around school, home, and working. He was always in his dad's store. Now the attitude that everyone had was if there was something that needed to be done, they would just do it. Now, they didn't have job titles. In the late 1950s, early 1960s, they expanded in the same location. When Jay's uncle came to visit the family, he asked them if they had a name for the new store, and they told him that they didn't. Now, the uncle told him that he had a friend of his who was about to open some stores in Arkansas. He said his friend's name was Sam Walton, and he calls his stores Walmart, and that's how they came up with the name Steinmart for their stores. Now, after Jay finished college, he came back to Greenville to help run the store. Now, Jay and his father would constantly butt heads. Jake, the father, wanted to run the business the same way he had been running it for the previous 30 years, and Jay, the son, wanted to systemize the business and expand their operation. For years, Jay talked about expanding the business to a larger city, and finally, in 1977, Jake agreed to expand and open a 30,000-square-foot store in Memphis. On opening day, they had thousands of customers show up. Under Jay's leadership, Steinmark grew from three stores in 1977 to 40 stores in 1990. In 1992, they went public with about 46 stores. By the end of 1996, Steinmark grew to 123 stores. Now, over the last 20 years, Steinmark has more than doubled in size as they have close to 300 stores all over the country. Steinmart had over $1.36 billion in revenue in 2016, and they currently have over 5,300 employees. Now, this is an amazing story on how a Russian Jewish immigrant was able to come to this country with $43 in his pocket, and over three generations, that $43 turned into a billion-dollar company. Let's now take a look at some of Jay's advice that he shares with us. Number one, people work with you, not for you. 
He says that in the early days, if they made the wrong hire just once, they would have been done. Jay says, hire good people who are a lot smarter than you are. Treat them well, love them, and embrace them. Number two, location, location, location. When you make a bad buy as a merchant, it can take six weeks to sell out. But a bad buy in real estate can take 10 years to get out of. Bad locations cost you a lot of money. And number three, grow slowly. Jay says that when they got to 10 stores, they said perhaps we can open 10 more. Don't wake up one morning and say you want 100 stores because you'll stretch yourself and your resources too quickly. Profile number two, Jillian and Adam Johnsrud. Now, 15 years ago, when Jillian was 19 and Adam was 24, the couple's original goal was to pay back their combined debt of $55,000. They got married outdoors with dollar store decorations and a potluck. They didn't have no big fancy wedding. They said, you know what? We're going to keep this simple and keep this cheap. Now, Jillian worked at a customer service job where people cursed her out over the phone and she made about $30,000 a year. Adam found out about a program that the Army offered where they had a $35,000 loan repayment program paid out over three years, so he decided to join. He was in basic training for their first anniversary, making $1,500 a month. Now, at the time, they lived in a trailer, then they moved off base where they lived in a cheap house with a roommate. The couple gave themselves only $50 of fun money each month, and they mostly did free activities. Combined, they were making about $50,000 a year. That's combined, a couple. And they put half of that towards their debt. So they made sure that they only lived off of half of the money that they were making. Most couples nowadays probably live off of double what they're making using credit cards and whatnot. This couple said, you know what? We make $50,000 a year. We're going to only live off $25,000 of it. They said that the key to their eventual success was the saving. Adam grew up under the poverty line, and he says that there is a common destructive pattern among low-income folks, and he is so true. He says that when you get a little cash, you tend to want to spend it right away. It took the couple two years to pay off their entire debt. After a few years, a few years after paying off their loans, the couple had managed to save $100,000. So let's just analyze this for a second. This couple combined is only making $50,000 a year, and in three years, they were able to save up $100,000. It's people that make double the amount of money that they make and can't save up $1,000 in three years. Yet, this couple just said, you know what? We're going to live off only half of our expenses. We're going to save the rest, and they were able to save up $100,000 in three years. Soon after they repaid their debts, they adopted their son who has special needs. They fell in love with him and they realized that they wanted to adopt three more special needs children. To do this, they would need the financial resources and a flexible schedule to care for them. They knew that they had to find a way so that they didn't have to work dead-end jobs to get by. Adam and Jillian decided to buy three cheap properties that needed renovations and they did the renovations themselves. They currently rent two of the properties out, which is their primary source of income, along with Adam's military pension. The rentals that they own are responsible for about $300,000 of their current net worth. In 2015, Adam and Jillian was able to retire and stop working. This couple was able to retire in their 30s. 
in their 30s while combined only making $50,000 a year. And they were able to retire in their 30s. That is absolutely amazing. So like I said, in 2015, Adam and Jillian was able to retire and stop working. They are able to live off their investments as their total monthly expenses are around $2,500 a month. It took them 14 years, but they now have the life they always dreamed of. Jillian's advice to anyone interested in paying off their debt is to consolidate your credit card debt into a single monthly payment with a lower interest rate. They were able to lower their rate from 18% to 9%. The lowered interest rate allowed them to pay off all of their credit card debt. They say to tackle your debts one at a time, starting with the most urgent. Most importantly, make a plan and just get to work. Now, when we think about some of the most successful entrepreneurs that have taken risks, the first name that comes to mind is Richard Branson. We've talked about Sir Richard Branson many times on Power and a Half Hour, and we profiled this story about two years ago. Now, today I want to share with you how Sir Richard Branson took a huge managed risk and started Virgin Atlantic Airlines. In 1984, at the age of 34... Richard Branson was just trying to get to the British Virgin Islands. He had been away from his then-girlfriend and now wife for a few weeks, and he was ready to spend the holidays with her. While waiting for his connecting flight in Puerto Rico, the airline that he was flying on informed all of the passengers that they would have to wait another day because the flight had been canceled. Richard wanted to get back to his girlfriend and did not want to wait another day. As he considered his options, an idea came to him. He decided that he wanted he would charter a plane and to help offset the costs, he would sell the rest of the seats on the plane. Now, after Richard had secured the aircraft, he borrowed a blackboard as a joke and he wrote Virgin Airlines on the top of the billboard on the top of the blackboard. And below that, he wrote thirty nine dollars one way to the British Virgin Islands. All he did was divide the amount of seats that were on the plane by what it would cost to charter the plane, and that's how he came up with what to sell each seat for. He then went to all of the passengers who had also been bumped, and he easily filled up his plane. This was the beginning of Virgin Airlines. After that, Richard decided that he was fed up with airlines that didn't care about their passengers, and he wanted to do something about it. He then made a phone call to Boeing to find out if they had any used 747s for sale. The sales representative that he talked to didn't take him all that serious when they first began talking, but then thought to himself that it would probably be good for British Airways to have a competitor. He decided to fly to the UK to meet with Richard, and they were able to put together a deal. Now, Boeing sold Richard a used 747, and Richard was able to put a clause in the deal that guaranteed that Boeing would buy the plane back at the end of the first year if the business was not doing good. With the deal in place, Richard knew that he had an unlimited upside, but he had limited his potential losses. This managed risk paid off huge for Richard and Virgin Atlantic Airways. Richard has a unique approach to new business. His approach to business is to succeed within the first year or exit the market. Now, this includes a one-year limit on everything associated with starting up. 
Virgin Atlantic became profitable within the first 12 months. Richard also helped to manage his risk by timing their operations to take full advantage of a full summer from June to September, the most profitable period of the year. That airline that started with one leased 747 from Boeing has now grown to 39 airplanes in service and 20 more that are on order and will be delivered between 2018 and 2019. In 2016, Virgin had revenues of 2.6 billion pounds, which is the equivalent of 3.4 billion U.S. dollars. The company that started with just one plane, one plane, now they're making over $3 billion a year. Let's now take a look at another iconic entrepreneur that took massive risks that eventually paid off. Another amazing entrepreneur that we've talked about several times on Power and a Half Hour is Elon Musk. Elon was born in South Africa and moved to Canada at the age of 19 with very little money. His plan was to live with a great uncle that lived in Montreal. Once in Canada, he tried to find the uncle using directory assistance at a payphone. When that didn't work, he called his mom, Collect, only to find out that his uncle had gone to Minnesota. Elon had nowhere to stay, so he went to a youth hostel. If Elon never took the initial risk in coming to Canada, he wouldn't be where he's at today. Now, at the age of 24, Elon and his brother started Zip2, which is a web software company with $28,000 that they got from their father. Four years later, they were able to sell the company to Compaq for $307 million in cash and $34 million in stock options. Elon then invested $10 million of the $22 million that he made into X.com, which would eventually become PayPal. His $10 million investment would earn him $165 million when eBay bought PayPal for $1.5 billion in stock two years after Elon founded his company. Elon then invested $100 million of his fortune in SpaceX, a company that develops and manufactures space launch vehicles. He then invested the rest of his money in Tesla Motors and Solar City. Now, in 2010, during a divorce proceeding, Elon said that he invested every dollar that he had in his businesses and had ran out of cash. This guy had over $100 million and he had no money left. He invested everything into his business. At the time, he could have sold some of the shares in Tesla, but he decided to hold on to his shares. Elon was able to get a loan from some friends to help him to pay his living expenses. He didn't even have enough money to pay for his living expenses. Elon almost lost everything, but he decided to bet on himself. Elon, who was cash poor seven years ago in 2010, so much so that he had to borrow money from friends just to be able to eat and pay his monthly bills, is now worth $20.8 billion. Seven years ago, this guy could not even pay his mortgage or his rent. Now he's worth $20.8 billion. As we can see, in order to excel in life, we must take risks. Yet most people live their life in fear and never take any risks. This never accomplishes anything substantial. Let's now take a look at some of the reasons why many people avoid taking risk. Number one, we overestimate the probability of something going wrong. 
we end up viewing the potential losses as greater than the potential gains. We tend to focus on what might go wrong, what we might lose or sacrifice instead of what might go right. Because what we focus on tends to magnify in our imaginations, it causes us to misjudge and overestimate the likelihood of it occurring. Yet the reality is that the risk of something not working out is often not nearly as high as we estimate and the odds of it working out well are often far better. Number two, we exaggerate the consequences of what might happen if it does go wrong. We come up with dire and dramatic worst case scenario images in our mind. Rather than assume that we would act quickly to control the situation if things started going off track, we imagine everything spiraling out of control while we do nothing but watch. Number three, we underestimate our ability to handle the consequence of risk. We don't give ourselves enough credit that we do indeed have what it takes to succeed. Because of this, we often avoid taking on new challenges or pursuing new opportunities because we don't trust in our ability to rise to the challenge. And number four, we discount or deny the cost of inaction and sticking with just doing what everyone else does. We tend to tell ourselves that things aren't so bad and we fool ourselves with the hope that our circumstances will somehow just get better over time and things will just somehow work themselves out. We come up with excuses for why sticking with the status quo is a good option. And while playing it safe and not putting ourselves at risk of failing or looking foolish makes sense. We have to remember that if we just ignore things in life, they tend to only get worse, not better. Now that we understand some of the reasons why most people are afraid to take risks, let's look at some of the reasons why risk-taking is essential, is mandatory to our success. Number one, great otherwise unforeseen opportunities often come from risk-taking. We tend to view risk-taking negatively, often viewing it as dangerous and even unsmart. It is true that some risks don't pay off, but we have to remember that some do. We need to start looking at risk as an opportunity to succeed rather than a path to failure. Number two, taking risk shows confidence and helps you to stand out. Taking risk is a great opportunity to stand out and to present yourself as a leader, not a follower that's happy with doing the same things that everyone else does. Number three, we learn from risks and then those lessons may lead us on an important new path. Risk-taking provides us an opportunity to develop ourselves. We learn from the lessons whether or not they work out the way we initially wanted them to. In fact, we learn most from the lessons that we think don't work out in our favor. Number four, success won't fall in your lap. You have to pursue it. If we sit around and wait for things to happen for us in life, we will be waiting for a very long time. We have to make up our minds to just start and take action even if we don't know exactly where we are going. We just need to take the first step and make up our minds that we're going to keep moving forward. When we stay in motion, we open ourselves to all sorts of opportunities that we would have never have gotten if we just stood still. Number five, you don't achieve your dreams by playing it safe. 
Risk-taking won't only potentially benefit the career path you're already on, it may also open you up to a world of possibilities you haven't even considered yet. We have to remember that our goals and dreams aren't in our comfort zones. In order to achieve and accomplish them, we have to be willing to take the risk to jump outside of our comfort zone. Number six, embracing risk-taking helps you overcome a fear of failure. We have to always remember that what others consider failure isn't the end of our journey towards success, but usually the beginning. Failure isn't the opposite of success, but a stepping stone towards success. Let's now take a look at a few techniques that will help us to take better risk. Number one, avoid putting everything on the line if possible. Smart risk takers don't risk it all if possible. The only time they go all in is when they're absolutely sure that they will end up on top. Number two, don't let others think for you. Please don't let others think for you. There will always be someone who's offering you unsolicited advice regardless of where you are and what you're looking to get into. Beware of people that scare you into avoiding risk. Remember that people will try to instill their own fears onto you. Just because they are afraid to do something doesn't mean you have to be. This is such a popular one. People always try to put their own fears on other people because it makes them feel good when those other people don't do it because it confirms to them that they shouldn't have done it in the first place. Nah, not because someone else is afraid to do something, you should be afraid to do it. If they don't want to take the risk and they want to stay in their comfort zone, you let them stay in their comfort zone. But you know what you need to do so you get out of your comfort zone and you do what you need to do to get to where you need to get to. Number three, take one major risk at a time. Although it may be tempting to invest in every opportunity that comes our way, the best rule of thumb is to only go big when justified and to never go overboard. Keep it simple and do things in moderation, especially when you're just starting a new venture. We may think that spreading out our resources into many different plans will help to reduce our overall risk, but in fact, it makes us more likely to fail. Choosing one risk at a time, putting our best efforts towards it, and then throwing all we have into it is the most viable strategy for long-term success. Now, here are a few techniques that will help us to better manage risk. Number one, identify the risk. Brainstorm all current risks. Go through all the factors that are associated with the risk that you've brainstormed and write down any concerns or potential problems. Number two, identify opportunities. When you identify risk, also factor in positive risk and opportunities. For example, include all events that in some ways could affect your project in a positive manner. Number three, determine the likelihood and impact. Establish how likely the risk is to occur on a scale from one to five and determine the impact of each risk according to time, cost, quality, and even benefits if it were to occur, again on a scale from one to five. For example, a likelihood of five could mean that the risk is almost certain to occur, and an impact of four could mean that the risk would cause serious delays or significant issues if it were to happen. Number four, determine risk response. Now, focus your attention on those risks that have the highest potential impact and likelihood of happening. Anything that is anywhere from three to five on the previous scale. Identify what you could do to lower the likelihood and impact of each risk. To lower the impact, get to the root cause by asking yourself why. Number five, estimate the risk. 
Once you've determined what you'll do to address each risk, estimate how much it will cost you to do so. And number six, regularly review risk. Set aside time to at least once a week to identify new risks and to monitor the progress of all risks that you've previously brainstormed. Risk management is not an exercise that only happens at the beginning of a project, but something that must be monitored through the entire process. Well, that's all the time that we have for today's show. We really went over some great points today. I hope you guys were taking notes. If you weren't, you can always go back and re-listen at www.powerhh.com or you could find me in iTunes under the podcast section. Now, I know you have three friends that could have benefited from what we talked about today. Make sure you tell them about the radio station that you're listening to this show on or you can have them go to my website, www.powerhh.com, all right? And the quote that we're going to end today's show with is, the biggest risk is not taking any risk. In a world that is changing really quickly, the only strategy that is guaranteed to fail is not taking risk. And that's from who? One of the richest men in the world, the founder of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg. Thank you much, and until next show. Thanks for listening to Power in a Half Hour with Coach Mark. To listen or re-listen, go to powerinahalfhour.com. Follow Coach Mark on Instagram and Twitter at Coach Mark Speaks. Find Coach Mark on Facebook by searching for Mark Star. Like our Facebook fan page, Power in a Half Hour. And join our Power in a Half Hour Facebook group. See you next week. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.